All right, excellent. Now that was just an awesome job, wasn't it? One more time. Thank you guys so much. Wow, what a blessing. Cynthia and your whole crew, I'm not going to begin to try to name them all. I'll miss somebody. But uh, thank you so much for working with our children and uh, planting the seed in their hearts early on. What a blessing. What a blessing. Yes. I love our children's ministry. One of the things I've always said that even though I kind of got lost along the way, I love the fact that uh, my mom and dad uh, took me to church. They, uh, I had a drug problem. They drug me to church every Sunday, Wednesday. Uh, every time uh, there was an opportunity, they drug me there. And uh, But I'm so glad because I was set under some... Uh, Special little ladies that made me memorize verses and planted the seed in my heart. And that gives us a place to come back to. And that's really, really important. Okay, it really is important. Uh, I I got a little ring up here. Sorry, this is a little technical. I'm I'm such a technical person, you know. Uh, Some of you know I have no skills there. Just a little bit down there. There you go. Thanks so much. That helped me out. Now, it may just be my own hearing. I'm, I may just have a ringing inside my own head, so it may have nothing to do with the sound system. Uh, I've learned that uh, my ears and my eyes aren't quite what they used to be, Al. Uh, and uh, so, uh, But we're going to plug right along. 
I'll be able to see great in the resurrection, so I'm not too worried about it. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the crucifixion, and as we've been going through the gospel, and uh, uh, it is that uh, time of season where we talk about Christ and his birth, but we're going to talk about, as we're going backwards, the inverted gospel. We'll talk about the crucifixion today and next week, the incarnation. This is a story that uh, I, it's really hard sometimes to preach. And the reason it is is because we're so familiar uh, hearing Christ died, Christ died, Christ died for us all the time that we get so familiar with it, it doesn't move us anymore. We say it so haphazardly, we go right through it so quickly. So I want us to uh, really try to set our hearts and minds to not be familiar, try to get a little bit of a fresh look at, uh, at part of this uh, uh, text today, okay? So I want to start with a word of prayer, and uh, uh, then we will dig into our text. Father in heaven, we've read these verses many, many times. We don't want to just gloss over them and them not impact us anymore. We want to have our hearts pricked again by the story of your son. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that empowers your word that we will read and discuss today. I pray that my heart and everyone else's heart will be moved by your spirit and your word today. What we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. In the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. All right. Isaiah chapter 53. I've got a couple of long readings, and so uh, you can read along or you can just pay attention. You know, I always say when I'm speaking somewhere, my part is to, my, my part is to speak and your part is to listen. But if somehow or another you finish your part today before I finish my part, just wait on me, okay? Uh, I'll get there. Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised. And rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried out our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds are we healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted and he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and sheep before the share is silent so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich 
and his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now a description from the book of Mark, if you will. Mark chapter 15. We're starting in verse 6. Now it was custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had come uh, committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release you, the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Verse 25. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews... They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him uh, heaped insults on him. And at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at that hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. And one man ran and filled a sponge with wine and vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud voice, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who had stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said... Surely, this man was the Son of God. When we think about the cross, sometimes I've heard people preach on it and try to explain all the different physical things that Jesus went through. But you know, 
other men have gone through physical difficulty too. Not to soften it at all. It was terrible. Then some have described maybe the really what was really hurting Jesus most of all was the emotional thing of what he was dealing with. Maybe we need to also understand that. That's more than that. We need to have the intellectual understanding too in our minds of what he accomplished there when he died. But even more than that, we need the spiritual. If you think about it, that's what God said when he said, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The physical, the emotional, the intellectual, and the spiritual. It all goes together at the cross. Now, this Jesus that came and John said, full of grace and truth, exposed grace and truth in a greater way at the cross. But it really started in the garden. That's when the abandonment started. That's when the feeling forsaken started. And, and then it all of a sudden had that climax at the cross of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he started being forsaken by the disciples and others at the garden. Jesus feels abandoned and he's torn between two desires. Have you ever felt that way? Torn between two desires. His humanity and his divinity. His humanity looked and questioned about another way. God, is there some other way? Let this cup pass from me. But his divinity knew the answer. (laughs) This was the only way. Only way. Then this idea of the darkness coming during the crucifixion. You ever thought about it? Darkness. You see, what happened at the crucifixion is the opposite of what happened at the Christmas story. The Christmas story, there's a night that's dark, and all of a sudden, but shouting good news, there's light that's shone because the Savior is born. At the crucifixion, the world, in the middle of the day, for three hours, the world goes dark. And why wouldn't it? Because they've killed the light of the world. And darkness to every Jew there who was there to celebrate the Passover anyway. And what were they celebrating? They were remembering how God rescued them out of Egypt. And what happened in Egypt? In Egypt, that plague that came of darkness that they all instantly remembered, they instantly remembered that darkness and the blood that was painted above the door that brought them shelter and rescue when death came to so many others. And now at the Passover... In this plague of darkness, if you will, comes the shedding of the blood of the Lamb that will rescue you, give you shelter, rescue you from judgment, and have death pass over you. They got it. The Lamb of God. And those priests that were around that time during the Passover were were uselessly killing lambs for sacrifice because the only lamb that mattered shed his blood on the cross. And every other lamb was useless from then on out. See, blood provided safety. It provided 
freedom from judgment. It provided life instead of death. It provided hope in darkness. It provided rescue. That blood saved then, and that blood continues to save now. We sing the old song, right? There's, there's power, power, wonder-working power. Where? In the blood of the Lamb. Then something else happened. I want to flip over to Matthew's account because this was kind of interesting to me. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27, at 51, when he describes this, or verse 50, Jesus cried out in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. By the way, now there's access to the holiness of God. The earth shook and the rocks split. Now look here. The tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So you had brand new raised holy people, homeless for three days till the resurrection, then they all go into the city. Can you imagine what that was like? I often wondered, you know, if Lazarus had died again, was he raised a second time? Who were these holy people? What's what's this happening at the cross for? What's it doing? It's giving us a preview of what will happen to all of mankind one day. The resurrection will take place. The power of the cross. Well, that's the description of it from Isaiah and Mark and a little bit from Matthew. But I want to talk about the explanation of it from three guys, Peter, John, and Paul. Let's look at, uh, that's not a singing group, that's, a, you know, the disciples there. First uh, Peter chapter 2. Let's look at this one. By the way, Al and I are going to start a series after the first of the year on the book of Peter, first and second Peter. It's going to be, I'm real excited about it. In first Peter chapter 2, verse 23, listen to what he says. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to to him who judges justly. He himself, look here. This is almost a quote from Isaiah right here. He bore our sins, notice, in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been, what? Healed. By his wounds we have been healed. Peter says he bore our sins in his body. The sins, uh, your sin and my sin, the sins of the world. He bore in his body. He bared the sin of the wife beater, the child molester, the porn addict, the murderer, the hater, Hitler, Osama bin Laden, Jeffrey Dahmer, He went to the cross 
and said, God, I take their place. Give me what they deserve. And God did. Christ screamed, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So that I would not have to scream it myself. Because without Him, that's what's happening to me. See, we can't cover our shame no more than Adam could. I used to think sometimes that, well, if Christ is... Can know, can know how I feel about everything, how can that be since he's never sinned? I mean, when I look back at my life and I think about the dark things I did that were so shameful, or today the things I mess up and are shameful, and I'm ashamed, when I think about that shame, I think Christ, Christ, Christ never had, he never felt that shame. He never did what I did. And then as I reread the crucifixion story, I understood. Oh no. On the cross, he felt the shame that I feel in the middle of my sinfulness. He felt and took on the guilt that I feel in the middle of my rebellion. We all try to fix our own shame, don't we? It started back with Adam. When he was ashamed of his sinfulness, he was naked and he tried to hide himself and then he tried to cover himself with fig leaves, right? Remember that? Yeah. And then God came along and what? Covered him again, and man's had a problem dressing himself ever since, right? (laughs) But when God covered his shame, God did it out of blood and sacrifice of an animal. And God covers your shame and my shame out of blood and sacrifice of his own son. He gave his own son to cover my shame and to take care of my guilt. That's the cross. Let's see what John had said about it in 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a propitiation for our sins. Some of your versions probably say as an atoning sacrifice. This word, this big word, propitiation, is literally means averting the wrath of God by the offering of a gift. So the wrath of God is poured down on Jesus. And yet God Himself gave the gift that satisfies the wrath. That what I deserve is the wrath of God on me, but because of the gift of Christ, I don't have to suffer the wrath of God for my sinfulness. Instead, I enjoy the grace of God only by the sacrifice of the Son. And he says that's how you know what love is. Because that's what God demonstrated this kind of love this kind of grace Jesus satisfied the wrath of God justice was taken care of the the court was held the judge said he's guilty and Jesus said I take that on myself I'm paying the fine I've got it covered 
and, and justice is taken care of. Legally, we're justified. We're sanctified and made holy. And we're saved by grace and mercy because we could not do one thing about it. We did not make it happen. He atoned for our sins. Peter says he bore our sins. John says he atoned for our sins. Let's look at Paul in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was still sinning, when I was out running the roads and doing the rebellious things against God, God already sent his son to die for me. While I was still doing that. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? There it is again, through him. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more? You ought to underline those two phrases. How much more? How much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? While we're enemies... While we're ungodly, while we're weak, while we were in an impossible situation to take care of anything about our lives, God says, I love you this much and I'm going to demonstrate it by the death of my son. You're no longer going to be my enemy. You have an opportunity now for peace. Hostility existed between me and God. But now, peace exists between me and God. Not because of me, but because of what God did for me at the cross. Grace initiated by God in Christ at the cross not only happened then, it continues to happen every day of our lives. If He loved you when you didn't care, how much more does He love you now that you're trying to do right? If He loved you when you were rebellious, how much more? How much more? How much more? You can make it in Christianity because of the grace of God. Not your own efforts, not your own, not your own perfection, but it's about direction. It's not about information, it's about transformation. You can become like Christ and God's grace will be what leads you on that journey and takes care of your steps. How much more? The 